Welcome to season four of Overcoming Working Mum Burnout. This podcast is all about preventing burnout in the workplace by changing the systems that impact how mums show up at work. And sometimes those systems are part of our social infrastructure outside of work. In the first three seasons of the podcast, I interviewed researchers, DEI and HR experts, coaches and mental health experts. We talked a lot about individual change because this is what we think is within our control. But if we stop there, the collective change that we need will not happen. Only 13% of male senior managers spend time in caregiving compared to 52% of female senior managers. This season, I'm therefore interviewing dads. Unless dads are more active participants in the home and more supportive leaders at work, mums will continue to struggle, burn out, and miss out on leadership opportunities. Men have to make room for women to lead at work, and women have to make room for men to lead in the home. We can't make change alone, so I want to learn more about how we can support men to become active participants in the home and role models for caregiving leaders at work. This week, I'm learning from Dan Flanagan, who is a branding expert and community organizer for dads, running Dad La Soul. He shares his story of burnout and how his career change allowed him to become a more involved dad and provide a supportive structure for other dads. He challenges the stereotypes of dads as incompetent caregivers and shares how building a global community organization just starts by starting. Dad LaSalle exists to orchestrate a revolution in the way that the stories and struggles of the six million dads in the UK are seen, heard, and supported. I hope you can learn as much from this conversation as I did. Hello, my name's Dan Flanagan. I'm based down here on the South Coast in the UK. I'm a co-parent of a very active 10-year-old boy called Nat, and I'm the founder of a non-profit organisation called Dad Lazole. Dad Lazole exists to orchestrate a revolution in the way that the stories and struggles of the 6 million dads in the UK are seen, heard and supported. Great. Thank you so much there. Maybe we can start a little bit with that story of what you experienced and why you started that organization. And then we'll talk a little bit more about how that works on a day-to-day basis with your work life, work mission and home life. Yeah. Primarily, I suppose it goes right back to my childhood. When I was around six or seven, my parents split up and due to my mum's ill health, uh, my dad was awarded custody of me and my three sisters. And this was in the sort of late 70s, early 80s. So it was wholly unusual, shall we say. Still is. But I saw sort of firsthand the abject lack of support that he had and the struggles that we as a family encountered. Now, so fast forward 40 odd years, I'm at the time happily married. I had a nice house in suburbia, young family. But I was burning out and unfortunately my dad was very ill and he passed away and I did what a typical man would do and ignored it 
the, the grief. And then six months down the road, it came back and bit me very hard and I became very ill. Quite humorously, I ended up, I got chicken pox for the second time, which is an, in an adult, is pretty painful. What that did is it confined me to barracks for two or three weeks. So normally I would have been out the door very early or even sometimes before my son, who was about two or three at the time, had risen and I'd commute into London or into Brighton and get home if I was lucky to put him to bed during the week, as many working dads do. And I thought, great, you know, I'm earning decent money that the family are comfortable. But then when I got ill, I was around a lot more. I played with my son he got to know me rather than just seeing me on a Saturday and being a bit confused who I was yeah a couple of things happened I was so very close to burning out and I realized I didn't want to go back to that sort of commuting life anymore so I quit that job with the idea just to initially maybe take three months off to get everything together actually the universe was with me and it, it turned out to be a lot longer then the, the the three months I started writing, which was something considering I was only diagnosed with dyslexia in my 40s. I'd always had a million stories in my head and I was looking for resources online to support dads. And the stuff I found didn't resonate. It was primarily things like how to support your partner through breastfeeding, which are incredibly important. My thing about having health visitors in there they never really asked how I was. So uh, yeah, I, I started writing a blog and that took off relatively quickly. And um, we ended up at, point, at one point, we had 18 different writers from around the UK telling their stories because we developed a platform. So it wasn't just about fatherhood. It was about music, film. There was cookery. There was keep fit. That then turned into a PR agency because that was my traditional background. And we were approached by lots of different brands that suddenly saw that it was money in dads and they would approach us to get involved in different campaigns. But what I realised was the creative briefs that they were sending us were appalling and they continuously used really negative stereotypes like the kids' cartoon Peppa Pig, if that's reached over there. It's exceptionally popular, but Daddy Pig in that thing is ridicule. He's a failure, but he's actually an architect. So he's obviously a bright man. And I just got fed up with these stereotypes. So I wrote something called The Dad Fezzi, which challenged these brands and about these sort of stereotypes. That blossomed. We started working with a range of brands, Dr. Martin, Marvel, Disney, getting the dads to tell the stories in the way that they wanted to. But even during this time, I was still struggling as a dad. I didn't really know what my role was, even though my then wife had gone back to work full time strangely through a chance encounter that I'd had in a coffee shop. I met this fella there and he sat in the corner. He looked a bit lonely. So I just went and had a, a conversation with him. And it turned out that he was trying to revolutionise the looked after children. So people, kids in the care system. And we got on really well. When he started telling me about the stuff he wanted to do, I was like, dude, you need to meet my wife. She feels exactly the same way. They did. They got on the house on fire and basically... He then gave my ex-wife her dream job. So she was able to go back to work full time, which obviously supported the family finances a lot better. But it gave me a lot more chance to be around so I could do the nursery school runs and organise play dates and stuff, which was an amazing opportunity. I remember there was once in particular, it was a Monday morning and I'd volunteered at my son's nursery. And we're based down here on the south coast, as I mentioned. And it was me some of the nursery workers and a bunch of three and four-year-olds we took them down to the beach 
and I convinced them we were going dinosaur hunting and it was just joyous and I'm thinking actually in my previous life I would have been in a status meeting for a large client looking at spreadsheets this is so much fun but outside of all that joy it was still weekends where you couldn't really organize play dates as dads we'd be down the park on our own because we are socially restricted mums go to the park or soft play they can strike a conversation and exchange numbers but as men we just we don't do that for whatever stupid reason it is and I just got a little bit fed up and quite lonely if I'm honest I'd had friends but there was nobody that I could really emotionally open up to about some of the challenges that I was facing so I stuck a flag in the ground on Saturday and said does anybody want a play date I convinced a good friend of mine who's now actually a, a co-director of the organization to give me his very swanky offices in Brighton and we had him 15 dads and 20 kids turn up doing everything from DJ lessons beatbox battles soft play crafting we caused chaos but what was beautiful about it was a bunch of strangers and nobody was on their phone they were just chatting and also typically if you go to like kids birthday parties and stuff and there's mums there the mums tend to control things and their dads naturally step back but because we almost said no mums actually mummy you can have the morning off or just send your boys our way and we'll babysit for you the dads were really communicating so I thought there's something here I didn't know what it was I think we just celebrated our fifth anniversary and we've done about 100 events in seven or eight different locations we've got a membership of two and a half thousand going over eight different countries that's incredible that's such an amazing journey thank you for sharing that with us and that it started in that feeling of burnout and physical depletion and ended in you helping others to feel seen and be seen and to connect so I'm really appreciative of that thank you I think there was nothing out there you go to mother and baby groups and had questions what are you doing here on a Monday haven't you got a proper job or are you happy to live off your wife? Or we had some really nice ones, but he's probably a paedophile because he's here to play with kids. I just want to be a dad. I'm not a babysitter. I'm an equal parent. So can we have a little bit of that, yeah, less of those negative stereotypes? And after feeling not particularly welcomed, I thought, if you don't want us, I'm going to create something that does because I can't be the only one. I think that's so important from so many different perspectives maybe first as the mums in the situation of feeling so much resentment that that's how we do end up treating the dads who do want to show up because we're so used to not having them there and feeling to be honest resentful about that but also then getting so stuck in our ways of our way is the best way as well and it's what I definitely felt like in my family too I was just ordering everyone around and it wasn't working for me but it also wasn't working for the family and so I agree it's something that the mums have to adapt to but also we have to be more open to it but I think it's this part of that process in, instead of feeling like we have all this responsibility, feeling the relief in shared responsibility versus any sort of threat or disrespect. It's just like, hold on, that is going to help us. I know sometimes it does get more, more complicated when there is 
shared responsibility but if it's well organized there's so much relief in it and maybe for me again the way that I got that relief really was to step away entirely for days or days because maybe when I'm there I find it hard not to step in or do things but actually that total break is what has given me that relief. So in some ways, it's not necessarily the shared time that give me a break. It's that you're in charge, I'm out the door having a total break. I think that was very much needed. It's actually probably 60-something percent of our members have been referred via their wives or their partners because they can see how lonely and isolated they are. As dads, you tend to outsource your social life because everything revolves around the kids and the school bun. But you're not around to build those relationships. The mums get together and then you get to put together, if you're lucky, with some dad mates. But they just happen to be the partners of their friends. And it doesn't mean necessarily you've got anything in common. Here in the UK, we have something called this National Childbirth Trust, which does early stage mentoring for pregnant couples. But that's great if you can afford it. With us, I only actually went to one because my son decided to turn up a month early. I was alone and trying to do my best and that's where the writing came from because I thought actually I need to learn I've read all the books nothing's sinking in and it's also the societal view of parenting if you're a dad and you take out a young child you'll have to think oh aren't you a good boy for giving mum a day off or over in the UK there's still a huge lack of changing facilities in male toilets so, so I was quite lucky because I'm sometimes quite brash it was like I need to change that nappy I'm going in the women's toilets just happening but if you're not that confident where'd you go this is why i'm so excited for our conversation today because you are actually addressing some of the broader social issues so again from the perspective that i try and come from there are things that we have to do at the individual level there's things we have to do at the family level there's things we have to do in our institutions our workplaces our education systems our healthcare systems And then there's things we have to do in society as a whole. All these things have to change for us to be able to prevent burnout in parents and to have just a more equitable world as a whole. So I really appreciate how you're thinking about what are the actual facilities that we need in public spaces to support dads. But also then, as you had mentioned, that whole, the stereotypes of the branding, because branding and advertising and images of carers, men, male carers in the movie industry, like you say, in television around products, all these things, that's what influences our social norms. That sets what is the expectation for society. So I love that you were trying to derail that at the creative strategy level, because that's where it has to come in. I just got fed up with it. The briefs that were coming through, the old dad dancing. I'm an old school hip hop fan. So quite a lot of my friends, so we've been b-boying and break dancing and jazz dancing for years. We can dance. Doesn't mean we just have another child and we turn into this gormless lout that just wants to watch the football and drink beer and control the remote control. There's always been the thing from females' perspective, the challenge to have it all, to have the family and the career. But if we readdress that, then it is obtainable for all sexes. We just need the support to be there and the, the challenge these negative stuff. If you go into the supermarket, you know, it'll be made for mums, 
recommended by mums, but I'm also quite keen to feed my children. They're missing out greatly, but things are changing. They're missing out of the power of that in branding too. Because again, a dad going into a supermarket and then going recommended by dads, there's so much power. With us, we have male foster carers. We've got day dads that have been through the adoption process, stepdads, co-parents, dads that are happily married, dads that have got full custody. A real breakfast it's not one size fits all so it's just use the word you know parent or male carer oh carers but i've also spoken to dads and had this conversation around that dads don't resonate with the term carer so when we're trying to engage dads to say male ceos who are dads and we want them to step into this different role model and that that's part of the problem is that caring isn't valued by society and of course we want to change that but then what is like a place where dads want to step where they feel yeah this is this is what I recognize in myself or yes I resonate with this word because again the feedback I received was caring and caregiving didn't connect for men particularly I wonder if you've come across that no, I think it's more to be aware of the wider sort of parental roles, because not everybody lives in a standard nuclear family. So it, it could be that a child lives with their uncle or they live with grandparents or the, the foster carer. They all have an equal role to play. So I'd also think that maybe some of the people you've spoken to maybe see caregiving as, how do I put this politely, as feminine so it's an attack on their masculinity, especially if they're CEOs, they're very driven, powerful people. But actually giving care to somebody is the most powerful thing you can do. We're here to make you know better human beings than we are. So they need to be loving. They need to be supported. It's not just about being the, the fellow that's there with the, the bank card to buy all the cool presents and the trips to McDonald's. It's the men that can get down on their hands and knees and have the eye contact, the early stages. It always reminds me of a one of the chaps that came to a, one of our play events. So we do dad and kid-friendly play events. So this was a few years ago. Big lad, probably played American football, rugby over here. And he had this little boy with him. He was a size, put it that way. And he had his little, I think it's about three or four-year-old son. And he said, my son likes to dress up as a princess. Is that all right? And I said, yeah, just on one condition. He said, what's that? So you dress up as a princess as well. So I stuck him in the corner and had a dress up and had a tea party. And you could just see the pressure come off of him because maybe in the groups that he was used to being in, there would have been snide comments or frowns of disapproval that boys would notice like that. Your boy's really happy. Just embrace it. Nobody cares. So yeah, it's about challenging maybe those societal views, but maybe those intrinsic male views of what it takes to be a successful man. And actually, how I'm thinking about it, too, because when I talk about burnout, I talk about some of the changes that are happening in our perceptions for mental health and from athletes in terms of striving till you drop. And actually, some of the branding, for example, around some of the drinks branding with some of these athletes who have started to address mental health is that pause equals power. So I'm thinking about caring equals strength. And that's the connection that we have to m make in some way. So I could imagine campaigns that are around that. I would love to see that. And in a previous world, I fell very much into the opposite stereotype. 
that worked 70, 80 hours a week for me was a sign of achievement because I was out there grafting, putting food on the table because that was my absolute priority. It was only when I had the opportunity, you know, it came out of a place of pain when my dad passed away. But to actually address that, my son's 10 now, so he's aware of the story, not in his vivid details, but I'm not going to buy you the latest, most expensive Lego. What we'll do, we'll have some second-hand Lego, but I'll be around to create some magical daft memories with you. You won't appreciate it at the time, but in the years to come, you'll understand maybe why I did it. So then thinking about this framework, what have you learned in your experience too? Because again, we want to empower other people to be able to lead community change, social change. And I know for a lot of people that feels so overwhelming. A lot of people don't even like the idea to accept that we're influenced by things outside of us because then they don't feel in control. But for me, it's so empowering to actually say, one, I recognize these barriers I'm facing because then I have more compassion with myself, but also I have more compassion with those around me who are facing the same barriers. And two, if those things influence us, they're not systems that are devoid of people in those systems. Right? All our systems are basically people making decisions. As you say, it's the creative director of an advertising campaign who's got the brief and who is creating this ad based on the brief. But we're making decisions all the way along the way. So we do have power to change those and, and the ripple effect can happen. So what would you say in terms of how you've empowered other dads to start groups. You mentioned before we talked, we started recording about a colleague developing one up in Scotland. But what have you learned about that you can really encourage listeners to say, yeah, community change is possible. And here's some of the ways that you can go about it. So it doesn't feel so overwhelming and so out of our control. Yeah, it doesn't have to be any kind of mammoth societal change. When I put the first event on it, it was to give me something to do on a Saturday because I was bored of going to soft play on my own. I was bored of feeling like a weirdo in a park where I struck up a conversation. But the more I opened up about that, there's a term over here in the UK called a Billy No Mates. It's for a person that has no friends. And that's what you call the weird kids at school. Uh, but actually, as you get older, our social groups do shrink, and especially during COVID. I saw a report, I think it was by the Samaritans over here, that the majority of mums make their friends through the school run and different classes. Men tend to meet theirs through either work or sports clubs. Now, what happens if you work at home? What happens if you're not, like me, a particularly sporty person? There will be an interest. So... Outside of our regular play dates, during COVID, we'd started putting online events and getting dads. We did one, actually, was Father's Day in the lockdown one. And we had dads from Germany and Kenya and the US all taking part, which was phenomenal. But they were going, this is how the world is for me. And then off the back of that, somebody goes, does anybody fancy a beer? I haven't been out for ages and I've got nobody to go for a pint with, which is a very simple thing for a man to do. But if you don't have that network, you can't do it. So off the back of his random comment, we do dads only events. So the dads have a chance to get together and chat. We've got an amazing partner called Freedom Works, which is a quite a funky co-working space. So they give it to us and we've got pool tables. We've got VR headsets. We've got sponsorship by a lovely local brewer that supplies some beers. And we just get together. It's like a youth club for dads. And we can get 15, 20 40 dads 
in a space, very different backgrounds, very different social and economic backgrounds, but they all feel something similar. Either they, they want some ideas to what to do with their kids and they feel a bit rubbish that they don't live this wonderful social media world through to dads like me that co-parent and just want some support. But it's, I think for anybody listening, just put it out there. I'm going to be down the park on a Saturday. I'm going to bring a baseball set down there or a football. And I've had events where we've had one or two people turn up. And it's after you put on this all this time and effort, it feels heartbreaking. But then I had a chance to talk to this guy and he said, I haven't spoken to a grown-up for about three and a half weeks. It's really important for him. Right the way through to other events where we've had, got 80 plus dads and 100 and something kids traveling in from a couple of hours away. So it starts starting. Don't assume that people are just going to laugh at you because, you know, you say you want to meet some new friends because that is our general go-to from a social constraint point of view. If you're brave enough to step up, you'd be surprised the amount of people going, Christ, I wish I had the balls to do that. Yes, can I do something? Because I'd love to just have a chat with somebody or I feel like a failure because I take my child to the park. But actually, my child wants friends, just like mums would do very normally. But for dads, it's very difficult to arrange play dates with somebody else's wife. My advice was start starting or look for groups in your local area or reach out to organisations like Dad LaSalle. So the chap you mentioned, Jago, he's up in Scotland, which is several hundred miles away from where we're based on the South Coast. He came across us through social media, joined a couple of our online sessions, got really inspired. And he was like, oh, I wish there was a group like that around here. Look, there wasn't one. So we organised it. And now he's getting six, eight fellas together and they're creating their own community. So it's a big step and it's scary. And nobody wants to be like that 13-year-old girl at a birthday party and nobody turns up. But get that out of the window. It's about the the bigger picture here. And through the stories of the hundreds of dads I've met over the time, people that on the face of it have it or have the great careers, they have the big houses, the swanky cars, like that. But when you dig a bit deeper, I'm going to say, are you all right, mate? They go, yeah, of course I'm going to, are you all right? Suddenly this stuff comes out. It partners with breast cancer. We had a dad that was in his early 40s a couple of months ago. He came along and over a cup of tea, he said a couple of years ago, I had a stroke. I walked down to the kitchen on a morning one day, completely out of I had a stroke and I went blind. And I was terrified that I'd never see my kids again. Fortunately, he's okay now. But he said, I've never been able to talk about this. I don't want to terrify my partner. I can't really tell the mates that I have because that makes me vulnerable. But him, in our space, because it's through our DNA that you are able to speak up and speak out. I've made some really good pals. So, so for people listening, do it. You can sit there and worry about it, but that ain't going to change the situation, fella. You've got to take a bit of action. I really appreciate that. And again, it, you've mentioned that some of the things that mums are doing to make it more difficult for dads to participate. And you've mentioned how sometimes it's the mums who are helping dads join these groups as they find out about them. Is there anything else that you think mums can do so that dads can play a more active role in parenting? Yeah, a couple of them. I think immediately take a leaf out of your book and just disappear for a day or two because if you're there and you're sharing the time, you're going to go back to the same old fail-safes where you're in control. Actually, you don't realise 
the kids are perfectly safe, that the house won't ball down. There's actually a really good friend of mine I share a studio with. They've got three boys. And one of the boys has really severe additional needs. And she's used to doing quite a lot of it because her husband travels. But they were burning out. And she said, you know what? I'm booking a weekend. I'm going to Ibiza with the girls. Deal with it. They said, when we came back, there was just, there was change. There was really, because he appreciated the amount of work that she had to do. She really enjoyed the respite, but it's, it's taking action. Or we've had, say, quite a few of our dads come through the mums because both go, oh, I don't need any friends. Blah, 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 blah. I've got loads. Yeah, mate, they're on Facebook. Doesn't really count. So we had one of our guys, Magic Dave. We give quite a lot of our fellas dodgy nicknames, but he was actually referred to as by his ex-partner. They had a young baby. They'd split up and their relationship was really struggling. His relationship with his daughter was really struggling. She put him onto us. Magic came again to a couple of those online sessions. In the dark, didn't turn his camera on, didn't say boo to a goose. But slowly, as he came, it developed, his confidence grew. And now he's actually leading sessions. Relationship. I've got a beautiful testimonial from her. They're saying, actually, a lot of their struggles with co-parenting have gone because they're able to communicate better. She's got time off to go and do stuff to respite or do what she needs to do. He's really hands-on as a dad. But now he's got a group of mates to actually have play dates with. So his confidence has gone through the roof. Hers has gone. So it's not just the benefit for the dads or the benefit for the mums. It's a benefit for the family unit as well. That's fantastic. We've talked about home and the bigger social. In between there, in terms of organisations, workplaces, have you had any interactions with workplaces giving them advice on how to be more supportive of parents or dads? We're part of something called the All-Party Parliamentary Committee, which is a government body for the future of fatherhood. And they're doing some great work with things like shared parental leave and some Lovely organisations that do recognise the benefits of giving a fairer space. Unfortunately, my last corporate role, five, six years ago, I asked for a bit of flexi time. So once a week, I could collect my son from nursery. I'd leave a couple of hours early. Bear in mind that every other night of the week, I was working late, but I'd still get disparaging comments. Oh, part-time, or if your child's sick, it's the go-to for the employers to say, oh, mum can deal with that. No, actually, mum's got a really important job and she just can't sack it off. Actually, I'm doing it. So what employees can do is be open to suggestions of supporting their staff. There's some really forward-thinking organisations that have internal dad support groups, which I think is amazing, which is something we're working on developing as well so we can support them so they don't have to start from scratch. I've had it from the sharp end of how it's not very nice. And I just think, God, how many other millions of blokes in that exact situation or this thing is not a performer or not giving it 100%. But actually, if you give those men the space and the opportunity to go and spend time with their kids, they'll come back happier. They'll come back refreshed. They'll be happy that they've got an employer that does support that. So in, in anything, the company's bottom line is going to benefit. And you mentioned they're working with groups that are focusing on policies. So again, there's quite a lot of difference in what is available as policies in Europe versus here in the US. So are there any policies that you want to highlight? Because again, I think, you know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel, but if we can learn from what other countries are working on, that would be great. I think Scandinavia 
is leaps ahead, light years ahead, where I think dad's supported to have a year off rather than just mum's having a few weeks off. In the UK, the opportunity's there, but it depends on your employer. Also depends, you know, what happens if you're self-employed? I took a week off. I just started a business around that time. So even when I was doing the night feeds, I was still answering emails. Well, I didn't feel I had the time because I'm still locked in this mindset. If I do not do this, there's not going to be a roof over our heads. You know, in retrospect, I wish I had, and I probably did have the opportunity to take a bit more time off, but that was just not how I was built. I was built to graft. My dad ran his own business and he had four kids. Look, Christ, if he can do it, obviously I can do it. But I've since learned that everybody operates on a very different frequency. But I also think that the expectations of what a parent does has changed and the complications of being a parent have changed. My husband and I were having that discussion in terms of the challenges that children are having with their mental health these days. We aren't necessarily equipped to help with that or even the social media and the cell phones and and then all sorts of other issues that are coming into children's relationships, for example, that weren't there before. And again, we're not necessarily equipped to deal with that. And so that's what we were talking about too, that just what is part of parenting in modern society is so different. So maybe in the old world, your dad's world, your grafting, you would have been seen as a great parent. But today, it just seems like it's so much more complicated. And as I say, in a way that I'm glad we're moving and recognizing mental health problems and recognizing transgender and all these other things. But again, we're not necessarily equipped to guide our children through those new opportunity we're not so you're not equipped we're not trained therapists one of the beauties of the dadless soul community is that they are very open and very supportive so we've had conversations where dads have got kids that are reassigning the, the sexuality or the gender i don't understand this they want to be able to say it out loud without feeling like a bigot but it's a we come from a very different world so how can i do this what's lovely is okay it's the wisdom of the village you know, nobody gets put down or whatever. In fact, yeah, it's got to be a few months ago now, there was uh, one of our lads that finally came out. Maybe he'd been married for years, had two kids, and he came out to his wife and his family. And he said, I, I finally feel like me. You'd think potentially in you know, a traditional male environment that he would have been crucified for that. But actually you were celebrated because God knows where this fella found his bravery from. It would have been so easy for him just to stay undercover and bottle those feelings up. But then that would end up very negatively. He would have drowned in a bottle or drugs or domestic violence or the kids would have been brought up in a very tense atmosphere. And now, actually, they've still got the very same loving and supportive dad. He just wants to do something slightly different with his life. It's exactly It's so important. So yeah, these are heavy topics and important social challenges. Just to lighten it, I'm trying to end our conversation a little bit, asking dads about their favorite dad joke, being very aware that that's such a stereotype too. To be honest, I should be saying, what's your favorite dad recipe or your favorite song? Oh my goodness, come on. I've got jokes, but I just don't know how they translate. So the one, did you hear about the supermarket worker that was moved from the... Fabric aisle over to beer, wines, and spirits. 
he was out of his comfort zone. I like that one. That's cute. <laughs> yes, but obviously it only works if you listen in the country that has comfort on the shelves. Uh, songs, pff, I'm not going to put my name to one particular song. I don't love all types of music. Some of the music my son listens to is absolutely appalling, but it's not for my ears. And he, as much as I've tried to embrace him into soul and funk and old school hip hop, he's there to hate what I've done and go and create his own path just as we do with our parents and they did it with their parents and part of the generational curve. Exactly. So as we think about the future, just to wrap up, what is the sort of future you want to see for your son and how do you think we get there? That's a big question. Personally, because a co-parent, so that doesn't come without its challenges. There's two very different styles of parenting involved. And that poor little fella has to navigate between them. So the future I want his to be balanced, to understand there's no right and wrong. There's just difference. I want him to understand what I see as a man, as a role model. So it's to be loving, caring, open-minded, accepting, hands-on, not afraid for the hard work. It gets stuck in as a protector as well, as a provider, as a protector. Yeah, and... Maybe by the time, if he chooses to have children, there will be a world where things like paternity leave are very, very commonplace. So when he has his kids, he doesn't have the struggle that I had of feeling really guilty about taking a week off work. And he can actually enjoy some really magical times. Thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to check out my website, www.drjacquelinecurr.com, for your free guides to prevent burnout. Would you like to join a cohort of women like yourself who want to disrupt the status quo but are facing constant barriers and, like you, are beginning to wonder whether your approach will even gain traction? Have you experienced the supportive environment of executive group coaching, knowing you're not alone, and learning from others' mistakes and strategies? but you want to have more concrete goals and measures of progress. In conjunction with my leadership training, I'm facilitating small groups of women executives in peer learning collaboratives. This is a scientific process that it's used in medicine when important new recommendations need to be put into practice and there's likely to be pushback. Peer learning collaboratives leverage the supportive environment of group coaching, but with more targeted goals, greater accountability, and a quality improvement process that measures impact through learning cycles. In my training, you'll learn five new evidence-based strategies to support your leadership confidence and credibility, including how to use macro and micro root cause problem solving, how to create culture change through daily behavior change, and how to manage change and burnout. The Peer Learning Collaboratives will provide a safe environment for you to put your new skills and strategies into action while learning from other women leading similar change efforts in their organizations. As you face barriers, we will problem solve together, empowering you to use adaptive experimental processes to help you build more resilient and informed solutions. A peer learning collaborative has three phases. In the co-design phase, members are brought together from diverse areas to establish buy-in and shared ownership. Building trust is important in this phase through shared values and expectations, 
shared vision and goals, open communication channels, and conflict resolution processes. In the collaborative learning phase, the group process is further solidified through peer empowerment, accountability partners, and celebrating small wins. The experimental process then starts with needs assessments, behavior targets, logic modeling, and plan-do-study-act cycles. In the adaptation and scale phase, lessons from the learning phase are translated into best practice guidelines and operational toolkits. Case studies are shared and champions are empowered to promote the findings and benefits to other units. How often do you find that you're trying to prevent the fires that men love to put out? You're spoiling their quick fixes and save the day hero-based approaches. Instead, you can see the forest and the trees. You want to disrupt the status quo with more collaborative, adaptable, long-term approaches that change how and why we work, bringing in flexibility and greater purpose. Yet your ideas are dismissed and the systems remain stuck, perpetuating bias and burnout. My training will give you the confidence and credibility to lead through change, manage change, and leverage change for transformational change. It will show you that your intuitive gendered intelligence is supported by tried and tested scientific frameworks, and it will provide you with more processes and tools to leverage that knowledge for greater impact and social good, based in public health science, behavior change science, and implementation science. Never before have we been through a global pandemic, racial reckoning, mental health epidemic, or great resignation. With a recession looming, post-pandemic stress levels are likely to remain high and resources low. Reports from Deloitte, Microsoft, Adeco, and Modern Health show that employees are dissatisfied with the current fix-the-person solutions and want to see transformational change in the organization itself. The need to lead with impact and provide return on investment is greater than ever, in more uncertain, challenging, and complex times than ever. During these times of monumental change, there have been few guiding frameworks for leaders. There are not yet evidence-based solutions to these new emerging and urgent problems. So it's even more essential to use evidence-based processes to manage change. My behavior science tools will enable you to embrace complexity, lead through change, and manage the overwhelm. I want to help women leaders with a new playbook for compassionate and competent leadership in times of change and complexity, with evidence-based frameworks and strategies for moving beyond the status quo and leading the workforce of the future. When you join a peer learning collaborative, you'll gain confidence, camaraderie, and compassion for the challenges you face. We will use scientific tools and processes to guide our progress, use behavior change strategies to keep us on track, and key indicators of change to evaluate our impact. Over a 12-week period, you'll set goals for the changes you want to see in your organization. You'll operationalize them as behaviors. You'll prepare your organization for change by creating a safe learning and growth culture. You'll roll out and measure what is working and why and develop ways to overcome barriers to change. You'll share your progress and challenges with the other executive women in your cohort 
so they can benefit from your experience, so they can provide support and ideas for solutions, and so that together you can exponentially grow your learning, leveraging each other's adaptations and innovations to similar problems. The training and cohorts will be available in 2023. In the meantime, I've created a free masterclass to introduce you to the five key strategies because change can be scary and you still might be uncertain about what it takes. My five evidence-based leadership strategies are leading through complexity with compassion, understanding root causes and solving macro and micro problems using the social ecological model and lessons from public health, leading with impact, identifying and operationalizing key change levers using behavior change science and strategies to create sustainable habits that change systems, leading with insight, creating the conditions for a culture of change using psychological safety, emotional intelligence, rewarding daily behaviors, and empowering role models, leading with curiosity, finding and testing new solutions for employee wellness, retention, and belonging using peer learning collaboratives as a supportive and science-based process for managing change and developing resilience. Leading with clarity, understanding and managing multifaceted burnout so you and those you lead can thrive through change using multi-level burnout solutions. If you're ready to start on a new leadership journey, I look forward to guiding you through this in my online course and supporting you in a peer learning collaborative. Please direct message me to get access to the free masterclass or sign up for the 2023 start. And please remember, burnout can be related to serious health problems. If you're experiencing physical or mental health symptoms, please contact a health provider or call the appropriate helpline. This podcast does not replace medical advice. Take care. Take control, you're a fighter. Feel the power Everything that you need